Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Hi, welcome to Gravetop Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. I'm really glad that you guys could make it today and join us online. We are having a special service today where we are actually in person right now, having baptisms, communion, and just connecting with one another as we connect with God. But we are still having our online message to where we are continuing our series on easy mistakes. I already know that we've been having a lot of great feedback Um, As we've talked about Judas, how we talked about Thomas, and learning about how these people we might have thought we didn't have much in common with, we realize that we make the same kinds of mistakes on a regular basis. And so we've been really identifying how we relate to these people and seeing so that way we can unpack their lessons and uh, apply them to our own lives. Today we are in part three of this series. It's been really fun and we are going through the life of David. And we're going to focus mainly on David's great sin, his biggest mistake that's referenced to in scripture, most throughout churches. And it's the moment where he sleeps with Bathsheba. I want to read really the the context behind the situation. We're going to read through uh, uh, this chapter. I'm going to jump around just a little bit, but I'm really going to give a lot of scripture around this story so that we can really unpack what happened, and then learn, uh, and then learn from David's mistakes uh, today. So we're going to be starting in Second Samuel chapter eleven, verse starting in verses one uh, through eleven. It says, "Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they brought destruction on the sons of Amnon, and besieged Rabbah." But David stayed in Jerusalem. Now at evening time, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent servants and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and had her brought. And when she came to him, he slept with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. But the woman conceived. So she sent word and informed David and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked about Joab. Joab's well-being and that of the people and the condition of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the king's house, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Now when they informed David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Should I then go to my house to eat and drink and to sleep with my wife? 
by your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. So before we go on, we're seeing this, this incredible loyalty of Uriah saying, how can I stay at home, eat, drink, sleep with my wife while all of the people are out at war living in tents and in battle? And, and the very things that he's describing are the very things that David has been doing, including sleeping with his wife. He's at, while everyone is away, uh, is away at war, instead of him going with them like the kings would normally do, he stayed back home, ate, drank, act, acted like nothing was going on, and slept with Uriah's wife. Now look what happens. And, and we see that David called Uriah to be able to come back home so that he would sleep with his wife and so that he could just uh, pass off the pregnancy to be Uriah's. And it would just be this... This little, this little cover-up that no one has to know about, only him and Bathsheba. And it just seemed like Uriah uh, was the father, even though David was just trying to manipulate the situation of his mistake. Further down, it, it says that, so one, this is after the part where David tries again, gets Uriah drunk, sees maybe he'll go home this time, uh, all hot and bothered after drinking some. Uriah still doesn't go home, sleeps outside, and it says in verse 14, So in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in, this, in the letter the following, Station Uriah on the front line of the fiercest battle and pull back from him so that he may be struck and killed. So we now have David, no shame at all, giving the letter to Uriah of his own assassination to get as he goes back to David's war. Well, Uriah dies, and uh, Joab fulfills this this uh, subtle assassination. And in Second Samuel chapter eleven, verse twenty six, says, "Now when Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent servants and had her brought to his house." And she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. So we have a lot of stuff going on in this, this story. We now see that after David had Uriah murdered, he then took Bathsheba to be his own wife. I want us to really just start with the, this idea of David He's about to enter this situation in his life to where this sin actually causes one of the biggest problems he faces as a king. Really the biggest problem he faces in all aspects of life as a father, as a husband, as a king, as a, as a, as a worshiper of God. This incident created the biggest problems full circle in all of his life. And I want us to just stop at at that idea because I want us to relate to our own lives and the moments where we have an obvious sin that we have uh, that we are living in that we're experiencing and once we start having problems we go to our very first point the very first mistake that we're going to zone in on David is what could it be what could it be in this point I want us to reflect on simply obvious sin in our lives we often overlook the most obvious sins in our lives when looking for the cause of our problems. I feel like obvious sins in our lives are often most 
are the things that are often most overlooked. We hide under self-righteousness and refuse to look at the mirror. And, and as I'm saying this, guys, I'm raising my hands too. We, we just have a really hard time at having self-reflection. Even when we know that what we're doing is wrong, we minimize it and, and excuse ourselves as saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not as bad as it, as it sounds. It's not as bad as this or that. And just as we consistently try to worship the created rather than the creator, it's the sinfulness of man to always look for the created to worship rather than the creator. Just like how people try to go to crystals and, uh, and all these like, random stones to in order to find healing or to find good vibes, good energy, or look to the stars, the moon's horoscopes to find direction in their life. Those are all aspects of looking at the created rather than the creator. In the same way that we do that, we often try to cast blame on unrelated superstitions rather than our blatant sins. And the biggest open doors and the biggest stumbling blocks are often the most obvious sins in our lives. Being in church for only 11 years or so, not being raised in church, but being involved with different churches and different ministries, and just really getting in the whole Christian culture of America, and uh, as far as our region goes, the southern region, what I've learned is that we can be super, super superstitious. And we can be super spiritual, not meaning that we're really spiritual, but that we are super spiritual, meaning that we go beyond spiritual into something that's just foolish. Often when we're thinking like, man, uh, I oh, I'm having like some ooga booga stuff happening at home. I feel like uh, it's almost like demonic or like there's a ghost. Uh, man, I feel like everything's going wrong at work or I keep having these issues in my life. I wonder if it's because of that movie that I watched. Or I wonder if it's because I have music, uh, this music that I listened to one time. That's probably causing these weird stuff happening or why bad things are happening in my life. I remember listening on the radio one time to AFR. And there was a psychopath talking about um, the, the evil, the complete evil of Taekwondo and yoga. It was like completely anti-yoga um, because it was a, a form of worship, which it is, but it's like, it was going way far. He went to the point of he went to uh, he did a speaking event talking about how evil it is. Um, again, it is a form of worship to to and uh, I think the Hindu culture, whatever. But he was going like really far and beyond to where like even Taekwondo, almost all martial arts are forms of this evil worship, and that people are worshiping these things uh, mindlessly by their their actions and. That's a whole nother branch to follow, right? Well, he was talking about this, this ish, uh, going, doing this speaking event and how uh, a man came up to him afterwards and said, do you really think it's, uh, you know, is it really evil? I mean, um, I don't, I just don't agree with you. And, uh, and he starts saying, I, well, actually I have this, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, would it matter if, you know, even the symbols that are used? And he's like, oh yeah, definitely. He said, because on, on my mattress, I have the yin-yang symbol, uh, just like as patterns all over the mattress. Um, you, you're really saying that it's, it's that powerful that will uh, that it will do something? And the guy says, well, how's your marriage? 
He, he said, well, not that good. He said, don't you see how obviously it's connected to the yin yang symbols on your, on your marriage bed? And I want to just like and stop right there and say how, how that sounds to some people, right? Like, oh, it is connected. He has yin yang symbols on his mattress. That's probably why he's having marital problems. That is ridiculous. There are a, probably a thousand other reasons of why they're having marital problems. Uh, a lot of people have marital problems with, without yin-yang symbols on their mattress. It would be much more wiser, down to earth, to ask other kinds of questions like, are you listening to your spouse? Are, are, you, are you being just as sacrificial for your spouse as they are being sacrificial for you? Uh, are y'all actively having a sex life or is y'all get too busy to where y'all make excuses not to make time for each other? You see how there's so many other aspects to look at, even obvious. And it wasn't even like, well, has there been infidelity in the relationship that has caused spite? No, it was a superstitious thing, something that we don't necessarily have to take responsibility for. We can just blame this created thing rather than accepting the responsibility ourselves. What could it be? Maybe this superstitious thing, maybe this movie, maybe this music. Guys, we really need to just stop being silly and stop looking at everywhere else and look at the things that we're truly trying to ignore and overlook. Look in the mirror before you start looking everywhere else. Even in David's story, I find that it's so bizarre that Lust is often taught to be David's main sin in this story. Almost every time I've heard this, this story talked about in a preaching, it's always circulated around the idea that David uh, lusted after Bathsheba. And that, that's like the biggest sin is like lust. And he had multiple, I want us to understand that David, before he was ever even king, had multiple wives and after he was made king, he had dozens of wives and concubines. David had always had a seemingly unbridled lust for sex. This is not the first time where David saw somebody and wanted them. And this is definitely not the first moment that he felt tempted to, to have sex with somebody that he saw was attractive. Again, dozens of wives and concubines, even though... At this point, the word of God that David had, the law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy told them not to have multiple wives. And yet here he is. And so I want us to really unpack that David was always, uh, uh, had, had a plenty of history of sex and lust in his life. This is not the first incident. Churches have so much respect. Christians have so much respect for David that we have watered down this mistake. This is, it, even the way it's described in scripture, the headline, the little subtitle is that David's great sin, great sin. And we've watered down this mistake. And it's almost like we have this tone that David's worst sin was simply committing adultery. Oh, well, he had sex with somebody else's wife. It's like, it's always circulated around the fact that he committed adultery that he slept with somebody else's wife, that he lusted, that it was all surrounded by sex. And while that is part of it, 
there's even an undertone within most times this story being talked about of almost like this undertone thinking that Bathsheba was lucky to have David afterwards. That it's like she was lucky that the king wanted her, that David wanted her. And, and that even her being able to be married to David afterwards was like a blessing. It's like there's this undertone that she was still lucky about this. You know, it's like a good thing for her, but even though it was bad. I want us to understand that she was happily married. If Uriah was that loyal to David, to his to his companions, to the war, to the battles, to, to these people, he sure the hell was loyal to his wife. And when, when David called for Bathsheba, you're talking about the king, and this is this is monarchy times. The king is a a rule to where if you were to enter the king's presence without being asked, you could be killed on the spot. Okay, so this wasn't a gentle request of David saying like, "Hey, like you know, can I get your number?" This was a demand motion by the king, and so this is arguably rape that David commits over Bathsheba. And to where it is very, you can really easily conceive that she was uh, powerless and or felt voiceless in the request of David. And afterwards, David murdered her husband. I'm happily married. And it, I, I imagine, I at least I'd like to imagine that if I was killed, my wife would be devastated. My family would be devastated. We, we almost just like read over this story as if like in Uriah was killed. Like that was messed up. But I want us to really understand the, the tone and the emotion of this sin of blatant murder of the woman's husband that he had just raped. Think about all the shame that she felt. It, it, think about all that she, the, all the confusion, all of the, all the emotions portrayed. And then the comfort that she had in her husband was stripped away from her as well when David had her, him murdered. This is a, a really, really disgusting sin of David, a disturbing sin of David. And I think that what's, what's so bizarre is that it doesn't even share within the time within the the time that this happens to the time where Nate, uh, David is confronted about this sin by the prophet Nathan it never even says that that Bathsheba knew about David having Uriah murdered it doesn't necessarily say that she is aware of it it's the only tone we see is between Nathan the prophet and David and whatever happened between Joab. But we don't even know if Bathsheba really knew that David had her husband killed. And then after having her, him killed, he goes and has her to be wedded to him. Being married to your rapist and the person that murdered your husband. This is a horror story unfolding in scripture. And this is supposed to be from one of the, the most pronounced men of faith in scripture. And we see him fall into this incredible, deep-rooted sin that started out with one of the most overlooked commandments of the Bible, do not covet. 
this is the most overlooked sin of David is his murder, his his unbridled uh, desire to have what is someone else's. I mean, this is a really disturbing story. And I want us to understand that this wasn't something that just happened in a couple days. It took days, even weeks for Uriah to come back and forth from the battle. It was long enough for Bathsheba to know that she was pregnant. So we know it's more than six weeks. So th these are months unfolding of this sin of David's. And I want us to understand in the same way where we can read and see how obvious it is wrong. For years, churches have missed his blatant sin and have just looked at it like, yeah, see, we shouldn't have sex. You shouldn't have sex before you're married. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't lust. Don't look at porn. See what happened to David. It, and there's, there's so much more to this story, so much more obvious sins that we overlook. In the same way, I've, I've, I'm really moved that we overlook so many sins in our lives. When we start experiencing problems, we look everywhere else instead of what is right in front of us. Let us look in the mirror and examine our hearts because it is right there and we can find so much freedom, so much peace. We could throw off so much guilt, so much burden, so many problems in our lives if we would just address what is right in front of us. Marriages, relationships, address what is right in front of you. Stop looking everywhere else, trying to find something weird to blame and look within, look in the mirror. Now I want us to go into our next point, which is this idea that David has, it'll all just work out. We talked about how, what could it be? It couldn't be me, could it? Now I want us to look at the idea of it'll work itself out. I don't need to deal with this. And I want us to think about this quote. You can't experience necessary change until you accept the fact that something needs to change. Let me say that one more time. You cannot experience necessary change until you accept the fact that something needs to change. Another lesson that to be learned from David is his mistake of ignoring certain responsibilities, relationships, ignoring problems in his life until it was too late. It took Nathan the prophet coming with an illustration of exposing David's secret sin months, months after him uh, committing this incredible sin for him to finally admit or acknowledge what he had done. This is a, this, I mean, that's a long time for such an incredible sin that sins that he committed for him to not even acknowledge it, not even admit that he was wrong, not talk to God about it. And there's no other text between the time of the sin to this point of the, of the baby about to be born of David acknowledging any wrongdoing. I feel like we are so on point of being like David. We so often react the same way to God by refusing to face God while knowing we are in wrong circumstances. We refuse to go to church. We ignore church. We try to make every reason or excuse not to go to church because we are not ready for the idea of change 
in our lives. We're not ready for the idea of confronting ourselves. And so we try so hard not to talk to God, not to go to church, not to hear a message because we really don't want to be told anything. Again, guys, hey, look, hands up. I'm in this boat too. We ignore God most when we don't, when we don't want to acknowledge the sins in our lives, the things that are, that are right in front of us. Same as with relationships and marriage. When you're, when you're fighting with your spouse, you don't want to talk to each other all day because you don't want to acknowledge any of your part. You just want to keep the blame on them or just really, hopefully it'll just work itself out. Parents with kids, if you got teenagers, dude, we're, we're the best at this. It'll work itself out. Oh, they'll, they'll figure it out. They, you know, they just have to learn on their own. We don't want to deal with those responsibilities. They're really difficult and kind of uh, uh, hard to articulate ourselves in, in expressing and talking to uh, another person about problems. And so we'll just throw up our hands and say, it'll work itself out. I don't need to talk to my teenager. I don't need to talk to my spouse. I don't need to talk to my coworker. I don't need to talk to my boss. I don't need to talk about these things that are huge problems that affect me, that affect other people. I'm going to just let it work itself out. I don't need to really talk to God about my spiritual walk. I'm going to just kind of leave that lingering because I don't want to address what needs to change in my life. It'll just all work out eventually. We are just like David. But the situation of his great sin came about because he wanted to ignore his duties as king. Remember, he was on the rooftop at home because he was already ignoring his duties as king. He, oh, the battle will work itself out. I, I don't have to go this time. I'm tired. It's been, I've lived long enough to know that I don't want to be there. All these people that end up dying and I have to have to see these young people going to war while I just sit there and I'm going to just let Joab handle this. You know, not only does he have this same kind of uh, heart in this situation of ignoring his duties as a king, but soon this sin is what leads to um, some extreme consequences. One of which was his son Absalom rebelling against him, stealing the kingdom from him temporarily having the whole entire country go against him as he ran away as uh, uh, in the middle of the night with his people on the verge of death. All of that rebellion came out of the simple neglectment he had as a father. He ignored when one of his many sons, he has a bunch of sons being king with so many concubines, so many wives. One of his sons ended up raping one of his daughters. And instead of dealing with it, talking to them about it, having any kind of discipline, he ignored it. There's not one scripture that talks about him dealing with these issues. And then the, the, the full brother of that sister ends up killing the brother that raped his sister, the half-brother. And, and again, it's like a moment where David doesn't, doesn't want to deal with it. And when, when his son was sent away... He didn't want to deal with it. And when his son came back, he didn't want to deal with it. It's a consistent tone of neglecting his fatherly role, of disciplining, and even his fatherly role of rebuilding relationships. 
We all get tired. We all get frustrated. We all uh, get overwhelmed and even anxious at the thought of not knowing how to articulate a, a solution to a problem. But when we just try to say, ah, I'm going to ignore this one, it'll work itself out. And we try to throw off our responsibilities. It is not an excuse from what we are called to do. David, only David was king at that moment. It was only David that was their father. So we have so many roles to where it's only us and we're responsible for it. We need to stop throwing up our hands like David did and learn from his mistakes and do our best and forget the rest. We need to, to make the change for the things that we can change. Acknowledge and look at the things that need to change and start taking action. But if we continue to try to ignore it and act like it's out of our hands, we're gonna to continue to see huge problems in our lives, in our relationships, in our workplaces, that could actually be amazing sources of peace. Marriages, this is a, I feel like this is a huge thing with marriage. So many marriages that have huge problems is like, well, it's just gonna work itself out. It, it's pro it, we're just gonna ignore that we can't talk to each other or that we can't have sex with each other because we're so frustrated with one another. We're gonna just ignore it and maybe in a couple of years it'll work out. And then once the kids graduate, they get divorced. You know, there's years wasted that could be not only, even if it did all just seemingly work out years later, why put off years and years of, of what is frustrating and unsettling when it could be enjoyable? There's, there's such foolish thinking that we have and the idea of just letting it all work out. There's times, yeah, where you can't do anything about it. You do have to wait. But there's so many more times to where we need to change something here within ourselves. I want us to go into the last topic. We talked about how the most, the, the biggest problems in our lives are usually from the most obvious sins in our lives. We also talked about how we, we cannot experience necessary change until we accept the fact that change is within our grasp, that something needs to change, and that we can't just continue to ignore our responsibilities. And now, rather than focusing on this last point of being of David's mistakes, I want us to look at something that he did really well. And this is what made David so special. And it's this idea of there's no better time. No better time. There is no better time in your life to connect with God than right now. There's no better time in your life to connect with God than right now. The best and most important thing that we can learn from David is that even in his worst, at his worst, he has a comeback moment, a comeback to God moment to where he chooses to worship God. Now, rather than waiting to be better. Even in this situation, when David is finally confronted and it's like this huge embarrassing exposure, it's a moment to where it can, can, like most of us would be inclined to hide ourselves deeper, push anyone that's exposing us or accusing us away 
he could have had Nathan the prophet killed. He was the king. He could have just ended it right there and continued to le live this secret sin life. But instead, even at his most embarrassing moment, he chose to worship God. At his worst, as a person, he chose to worship God. At his best, as a person, he often chose to worship God. Even in his worst circumstances, things that he could not control, he chose to worship God. Whether it was the best or worst circumstances, his best or worst self, he chose to worship God. Even after the son born out of murder and rape died, the moment that he died, David was devastated. And yet it says that he washed his face and chose to worship God. Even when, uh, uh, before this point, when he was uh, still exiled from Israel and Saul was trying to kill him, there's a moment where his own soldiers, the people that were with him for years, talked of stoning him and killing him because of a situation that happened. And in that moment where it was utter, uh, the situation was just bad, the worst possible situation, all of their family had been stolen, all of their valuables, all of their belongings had been taken from uh, from other people, and in the, and they were going to stone David for it. And in that moment, as circumstances and situations was the worst, he chose to worship God and encourage himself in the Lord. And I think that this is the most powerful thing, is that we consistently find reasons of why now is not a good time of why right now in our situation and our our point of life it's not a good time to connect with God it's not a good time to worship God it's not a good time to talk to God it's not a good time to follow God it's either that we are not good enough or our situations are not prime enough truly the best time is now. Even for me, I feel like during this, uh, uh, while even preparing for this message, God spoke to my heart. I have three kids under three. It is hard to have my sacraments of faith. It's hard to have moments of, of worship, prayer, reading the Bible. Simple things that I enjoy doing that are a part of my faith. Even just going to church, I'm the pastor. It is hard to get all three kids in the car, to get them ready in time. It's hard to do all these things. And there's moments where I've told myself, well, this is just not a good time for me to be close with God. I can just do my do my best and forget the rest, but it's just not a good time for me to try to do X, Y, or Z with God. And God was ministering to my heart that there is no better time for me to have my relationship with God, to connect with God, than right now, even with three kids under three, that there's no better time than now, that the, the life I'm living right now in the present is the best possible time for me to connect with God. For you, no matter what you are going through, no matter what situations you are facing, there is no better time for you to connect with God than right now. No matter how good you are or how bad you are, there is no better time for you to connect with God than right now. Truly, truly the best time for you to connect with your creator, to connect with Jesus, the one who loves you, the one who told you that nothing can separate you from his love. 
that not height nor depth, heaven or hell, angels, angels or demons, not even sin can separate you from the love of God. That there's no better time to connect with that person than now. So whether we are at our worst or our best, we can come to God and find the connection we need with our Creator. We need to stop putting off for tomorrow for, for some kind of idea of better. We think that, well, in the future, maybe next, next year, in 2022, it'll be a better year for me to connect with God. It'll be better after I get this job. It'll be better after I get married. It'll be better after we have kids. It'll be better. It'll be better. It'll be better some later date to connect with God. There's no better time than now. You could have God's presence in your life now. You could have God's power in your life now. His peace now. His salvation now. His freedom now. His healing now. His spiritual connection. Just everything that you need from God. Everything that is with God. You can have today. Now. So stop putting off for tomorrow. It's the best thing that we can learn from David is that there's no better time than right now. With that being said, I want you to have a moment of deep thought, of reflection, and I want you to ask yourself, am I putting off anything between me and God that I need to do right now? Maybe even as we were talking about obvious sin, maybe at the, some point, even when I talked about that, you said, I'm going to deal with that later. And perhaps by the end of this message, God is saying, why put it off for tomorrow when we can talk about this now? You can have forgiveness now. Why wait till tomorrow? Maybe it was even about accepting responsibility, looking at the things that need to be changed and relationships, whatever it is. Maybe you're thinking about people that need to be forgiven. Maybe you're thinking about relationships that need to be restored and you've been putting it off. And God is saying, why wait when right now is a good time? Maybe most of all, you've been far away from Jesus. You've been far away from God. Maybe you were close at one point. You've gone your own way. And you've been just putting off tomorrow for tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month, soon. It's va the most vague idea of time in the future, soon. Could be any time. You'd be thinking, soon I'll talk to God. Soon I'll reconnect with God. Soon I'll recommit my life to Christ. Soon. Why wait any longer? And God is just calling you back today. Maybe even for the very first time. If that is you, I really want to encourage you to worship God today. Worship God today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Even as soon as we're done in this message, even right now as you're listening to it, let right now be that moment. Because he's calling you. He's calling you to himself to enter into that love, to that peace that redemption, that salvation, that healing, that freedom. He's saying right now, just as you are. You don't have to try to get right first. Jesus does all that work for us. You don't have to become perfect. We'll never get there. 
just right now as you are, go to God. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. That scripture is simply saying if you acknowledge Jesus in your life, if you talk to him and mean it in your heart, if just genuine about it, have a conversation with him and surely you shall be saved because you're having a conversation with your creator. And that always leads to redemption. God always leads us to redemption when we come to him with genuine hearts. Have that conversation with him today. Don't put it off for tomorrow. All that being said, um, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of the Gravetop family. If you have it on your hearts to uh, connect with us as a church family, we'd really love to connect with you. You shouldn't have to walk through life alone. That's what church is for, community and connection. I hope that this message was edifying to you and that it made a difference in your life. We're going to continue to go through this series of easy mistakes and see how we can learn from the mistakes of others in the Bible through this, through this person study so that we can be catapulted forward in our faith instead of being uh, uh, doomed to repeat the same mistakes they've already made. If you have it on your hearts to give today, you truly make a difference with your giving. You can go through to gravetopchurch.com, click the Give tab, and you can give online. Or you can give through third-party apps like Venmo or Cash App. Uh, we're, we are truly blessed and, uh, and sustained by the generosity of others. Because of your generosity, because of your trust and stewardship for us as a church, with your giving, we're able to continue to connect with people, to make a difference, to love God, love people, and fulfill the vision of Gravetop Church, which is to, to form a community of believers, to live in trust and transparency with each other as we connect with one another, and most of all, with God. We're so grateful for your generosity, and we appreciate everything that you do for Gravetop Church and a part of Gravetop Church. We love you. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Enjoy. And those of y'all who are with us right now for baptisms and communion, I'm so proud of you. And we, uh, I know that we're going to have a really good time. So we love you. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website gravetop.com and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.